0: This presentation is from Design Leadership 2020. Very happy to have you join us today, um, all the way from Melbourne. I don't know whether it's sunny Melbourne, but it's certainly not sunny Sydney at the moment, um, to talk about psychological safety. Um, So please join me in welcoming Leander. Thanks for coming. Um, So yes, thank you, Steve. I'm Leander, Um, great to, Uh, know that a few people that I know are in the audience who've just been sending me texts and things. That really helps um, when you're doing this via a webinar, but also really great to know that some of the things I'm going to be speaking about have come up as really important and emerging topics in the last few speeches, and I suspect will be the same for the rest of today. So I'm sure that there's something that we'll take from that when we gather at lunch or even at the end of today. so what I am talking about is psychological safety. um kind of deep diving into some of the things that uh, I think it was Zoe who, t- who spoke about this um, and pretty much just giving it a name and looking at some of the research to begin with. Um, to begin, though, um, as Steve said, I'm down here in Melbourne, which is Wurundjeri country. Um, so the traditional owners of the land are the Kulin Nation and they've been um, here since, you know, 50, 60 thousands of years and then it's, it's an incredible um, heritage to come into as an Australian. I'd also like to pay my respect to uh, Wurundjeri elders, past and present, and extend this respect to all of the lands that you're on, um, and also any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders from other communities that are here today. Um, as Steve said, I'm a service designer uh, well, I work at Mission Australia as a service designer, so it's a little bit different from UX, but I'm sure some of the things that I'm talking about will be relevant. And I'm also completing a Master of Design Futures at RMIT Uni. And I mentioned that because today's presentation actually comes out of a project I did last year on design leadership. And what started as an investigation into quiet leadership or leadership for introverts um, ended up evolving into researching the role of leadership in creating a psychological space Safety for everyone Um, and I just think it's kind of ironic that it's led to me presenting to everyone today as somebody looking at quiet leadership. Um, In terms of an overview we'll definitely talk about what psychological safety is and give a bit of a definition to it but we're here today to kind of look at it in a design environment and why is it so important to design and innovations. And also how can leaders increase psychological safety in their team? And I was really happy to hear Lucy talk about the fact that leadership isn't just about management. So while I will be talking a little bit about design leaders as as managers of teams, this is relevant for all of us. And it's even relevant for people who are outside of design who happen to be here or how you actually conduct yourself in any sort of group environment. So you might even go home tonight and start talking about, oh, you know, such great psychological safety in my family, or, you know, this made me feel this way, or let's start trying some of these in other contexts. So, what is psychological safety? Um, most psychologists will agree that Amy Edmondson, that's a picture of her there, she's a Harvard Uni researcher. And back in 1999, she wrote an article called Psych Safety and Learning Behaviors in Work Teams. And it sort of popularised this term, and she's still working and still producing research, but the term actually goes back a few decades before that. But I introduce Edmondson because we'll be using her definition today. And she defines psychological safety as a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. It is bigger than that, but again, it's a shared belief held by members of a team, so held by all members of that team, that being in that team is a safe environment for them to take risks with each other. Now, you might have also read about Google's Project Aristotle. I won't go into it in any depth, but I do encourage you to look that up. And also Microsoft recently did something called The Art of Teamwork, which has some other great resources that I can point to. But Google's Project Aristotle really looked at team effectiveness and found out that of the top five elements that were crucial to their teams being effective, psych safety was by far the most important factor. So Julia Rozovsky, who's one of the researchers who worked on this project, defined it as underpinning all the other four. Um, And you can look up the other four, but psych safety was by far the most important one. And this study is really important to us today because it showed that it matters less who is on your team than how that team works together. And I do want to point out that although psych safety might be a new term or relatively new, it's far from a new concept. And this is really interesting for me because I'm really interested in human behaviour. This idea or this concept is as old as humans and it's based on human need So psychological safety is about recognising that everyone is human, that's what it means to me. Each person comes with a different way of seeing the world, different needs and different past experiences that have shaped who they are and therefore what they have to offer. It's about creating an environment that makes them feel safe to bring what they offer and share it with the team or group without fear of any negative consequences. So that might be something like just embarrassment even in the moment. or it could be things like further on in my career, I'm not going to get that, um, I'm not going to get that promotion, or I'm not going to get to work on on something else I want to work on because I've shown that I'm vulnerable. Really. Um, so yes, it's about being human and recognizing other people as human. Now, in terms of what this might look like, I'm not going to go through all of this, but essentially, I did want to point out that it's not a matter of having psychological safety or not having it. It is a bit of a spectrum. And on the left hand side, we have examples of what you might see in a team that has higher psychological safety. So people feel safe to admit to mistakes or ask for help, basically. People actively listen to each other, and there's a high degree of diversity and inclusion in the team. And I will pass these slides along so that we can hand them out afterwards. I do want to talk about diversity inclusion, though, just for a second. Diversity isn't just about having people from different nationalities or genders or religions or any other background. It's about understanding the variety of expertise and styles of thinking and approaches to work that your team brings. And then inclusion is in making sure that they feel safe to leverage all of that in order to contribute to the team. Now on the right-hand side, and you'll see down the bottom I've made this a bit of a spectrum. On the right-hand side, we have a starting list of what you might find in a team that experiences low psychological safety. Are people more worried about how they appear? Or about having a voice and contributing that voice? Are people constantly scared of having their ideas shut down? Now I'm interested, and you can ask yourself this and we can talk about this later, like after this presentation, but which of these do you recognize in your own teams? Which remind you of a past team that you might have worked on? And perhaps if you're being honest with yourself, just with yourself for now, which of these practices do you partake in as a leader? So One thing I didn't look at in my original study that I did as part of my masters is the worth of Timothy Clark, who's a US-based social scientist. And that's simply because this book came out um, just a few months ago. So I did want to point out what this looks like because I think it's really important. Because his contribution to this argument around psych safety is that there are four stages or levels of building psychological safety, and that each stage actually builds on the preceding stages. He also notes that each Increasing stage can be seen as an increase in the respect for the individual in your team and also permission for them to participate. So as we get to to the right and go up in respect, it's permission and respect. Now the first stage is inclusion safety. This is basically about feeling that we belong in the team and are accepted for our differences, sorry. Learner safety is stage two and means that now we feel confident being in the team, we feel safe to engage in learning in it. And if we feel safe to be constantly learning and growing, and we've talked about that learning mindset a lot today already, then we might also feel safe to take what we've learned and contribute it towards the betterment of our team. And Clark calls this contributor safety. And finally, stage four is challenger safety. So this is really important to us as, as designers or UX or innovators, whatever you want to call it. Challenger safety is essentially where we feel safe to challenge the status quo. see how we can bring about change rather in order to add value to our team or organisation. So now that's a really quick look at the, uh, I guess, the theory of it and what it looks like. But I really want to look at what this looks like in our teams. So level one, this is somebody in a high psychological safety team. So we have somebody that feels safe to share my my different skills. I I feel safe to share my strengths and ways of thinking without feeling like I'm an outsider or that I don't fit in. Now, perhaps he's an introvert in a team of extroverts. He's not at his best at brainstorming sessions if you just give him two seconds, but as his leader, you recognize that he's really creative. He just needs time and a bit of quiet to consider his responses. So why not email him the day before a meeting and say, we need your creativity tomorrow can you maybe think about three or five ideas for this challenge before then? That's one way to show that he's valued, even though he might not think as quickly as the other people in the team. Not to say that all introverts are like this, but it's just an example. Now, we have the man at level two, and he says, I feel safe to ask questions and admit that I don't know everything without feeling like I'm ignorant. Now, this is a bit of a personal story, but when I started at Mission Australia, I had a lot of experience in the not profit not-for-profit sector, but it was all in education, and educational disadvantage. I had little knowledge of homelessness and and housing and that sort of thing. So what I needed was a manager who recognised my strengths in developing rapport with people quickly and, of course, the design skills I was hired for and who would allow me the time to talk with people to find out more about homelessness. In that way, I didn't need to feel anxious or that I'd be found out as an imposter and I'd learn a lot along the way. So, contributor safety. I feel safe to use my learnings to make suggestions in my team and provide feedback without feeling like I'm being intrusive or critical. I hired this young lady because she has expertise in an area you don't know much about. And that's not threatening. That's the point. You're hiring somebody who has diverse skills. You ask her to use this expertise regularly and you give her autonomy to make decisions about how a project should go. When she needs, she feels safe to come to you and bounce ideas off you. When she finishes you thank her and you make it clear to her and other people how her contribution has connected to helping your team reach its goals or perhaps even your organization and finally we have somebody who experiences high levels of challenger safety she's creative and she thinks outside the box and she possibly gets a bit disengaged when a team does the same old same old thing but when your team is given a new project and she gets frustrated that you're going to be using the same old processes for working with clients, you sit down with her and you listen and you understand how she'd run a project. It doesn't mean you always say yes, but by listening, you're able to find out that she's actually just made a strong case that working in this new way initially might come with a bit of cost, but will save you dollars and hours over the next few years. So that's a little idea how Clark's model of four stages might look in one of our teams. So why is psych safety so important for innovation? Now we could talk about innovation culture for another 20 minutes, but um, there's a lot of great uh, literature out there that I can point you to, and I don't have time to cover that in the depth, I'd love to. But I also am assuming that you've had alarm bells going off throughout this whole presentation about why psych safety is so important to what we do in design. So instead of talking about innovation in culture more broadly, I've narrowed it down to look at three fairly familiar and core design principles. And I want to demonstrate the difference between how these elements might play out in environments with low psychological safety and then high psychological safety. So these examples I've chosen, they're not the only ones, but they're differing and discrete modes of thinking. So really that's divergent and convergent thinking. Um, A fail fast, learn fast mentality, and the opportunity for radical collaboration. So number one, differing and discrete modes of thinking. So this is basically, as I said, um, convergent and divergent thinking, which is like breathing for most of us. So this graphic on the left is how I represented the kind of thinking you might see in a team where there's a low level of of psychological safety. So there's narrower thinking. In this scenario, you might expect things like groupthink, where people don't wanna disagree with with the CEO or the the person who's holding the power in the room Um, and especially anyone who's sort of a senior member of staff or anyone who um, I guess is maybe a bit more dominant or confident with their opinions, I'd say. In this scenario, there's no appetite to follow one's intuition, which I think it was Zoe who talked about this and Zoe, let's catch up later because my master's is actually about intuition and I think it's very much an overlooked part of design. Um, But you'll probably see fewer insights in your, user research faces and less novel ideas in the end. Now, conversely, if we look at a high level of psychological safety, you see more ideas and more creative ideas. As a result, there are more insights about human behavior, more connections between thoughts, more mashups, and more ability to put out what I call half ideas, where you have an inkling that you're onto something, but you're not really sure where it's going and you leverage other people's diversity in order to actually kind of make that a full idea. Now, my favourite experience of this was actually working with the Smith family about five years ago on a project about growing people's careers within the Smith family. We ideated to think of development, ac- developmental activities that would support team member growth, but the overwhelming voice in the room and in my head was really that just what it wasn't enough time in people's days to do this. So I blurted out, but what if we could create time Now, people obviously initially thought I was joking, but I was given the opportunity to explore this with my team. And the end result was a program called Time to Grow, which provided team members with the permission to spend some of their weekly hours on self-development. I'm really proud of this outcome, but it wouldn't have happened if my teammates had dismissed my idea of creating time. Fail fast, learn fast. Now, we're all pretty familiar with this phrase, particularly in the innovation startup world. We're also probably able to see how a psychologically safe environment enables individuals to share their thinking and test out ideas without the fear of negative consequences. But what I did want to add here was a note about what I think it means to fail. For a start, I personally prefer to talk about a culture where people are permitted to just make mistakes. But this culture is far from rewarding incompetence or a team member who continuously produces poor quality work, rather, a, psychological safe, a psychologically safe culture is one where mistakes are seen as a way of building knowledge, of learning. So the types of mistakes that are being made are important. For example, mistakes where someone has a new idea in an area of uncertainty or where something is unknown, and then probably some of the things we've been doing in the last few weeks, and then they learn that a chosen optional avenue is not feasible or viable. They have learnt something valuable. Now, if we think back to um, Amy Edmondson, in her most recent book, which is The Fearless Organization, go out and read it, I love it, she provides a great matrix that explores psychological safety on one axis and standards on another, and argues that the sweet spot we're all looking for is high standards and high psychological safety, and she calls this the learning and high performance zone. So yes, definitely, please, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but please do add that to your reading list. Now, radical collaboration. Uh, I don't often use this term, but I experience it all the time. Radical collaboration is basically bringing people together from different backgrounds, mindsets, and areas of expertise. So that might even be outside of your team. At Mission Australia, this involves bringing together people from service delivery, research, finance, business development, IT evaluation, etc., and creating a space where they understand how they are contributing to a team goal, so beyond their own team, a group goal or a project goal. Now I do want to put put a note in about co-design because radical collaboration here would include bringing in people with lived experience. So for me it would be lived experience of homelessness or substance abuse or mental health and then I'd ask them for their help as people with lived expertise. I believe lived expertise is crucial to designing services and not-for-profit. Radical collaboration provides Users, I don't like that term, but users of our services to contribute valuable insights that are crucial to whether or not a service is going to work for them or not. Now, in a climate of low psych safety on the left, you're likely to have limited diversity of input. And more often than not, a preference to just stick with, that's just the way that we do things around here. People will likely be defensive of their own idea. They probably won't think open-mindedly about these ideas, particularly if they're coming from other people. It's not a safe, If it's not a safe environment, they will want to show you what they know rather than what they don't know. On the other hand, I want to see radical collaboration. In these projects, something magical happens where people feel safe to bring their whole selves, their unique strengths, their individual ways of seeing the world and let this mix with everybody else's. And yes, perhaps there are more risks being taken and a few more mistakes encountered, but that's because there's an absolute abundance of ideas in the air. And the learning these experienced along the way is vital to coming up with something new that makes a difference, okay. So before my voice goes, what's the role of a leader? That's the big question, right? Well, first of all, I'll say it needs to start with you. Each team member, and, and this is if you're a leader of a team, Um, Each team member plays a role in creating that safety for others, but most of us will know it's really hard to influence a team or culture if the leader of that team is not on board. So, as a leader of the team or as a manager of the team, you play a critical role, and the first move needs to start with you. Secondly, we just spoke about this, but I wanted to point it out again, differentiate between psych safety and accountability be clear that to your team members that they are still being held accountable for the work that they're doing. The difference is that you are working alongside them rather than leading them from the front or whipping them from behind. You are there alongside them when they need. Now, Clark, this is Timothy Clark again. His advice is to increase the intellectual friction within your team while also reducing the social friction. I love that. So you can imagine having ideas colliding and being tested out between your team members. This is so key to what we do at many stages of the design process, but also having the social intelligence to ensure that your team feels comfortable and protected to do this in a way that is respectful and with a common goal in mind. Okay, so that's the big picture. But what does this really look like? Again, let's get into the detail. So I've kind of called this, how might might we create a plan for increasing the psychological safety within your teams so that your members feel safe to contribute their whole selves to work and really to have more productive um, outcomes? Now, I have a list of about 400 different things you can do. Um, just from having researched this and having done my own interviews. But what I thought I'd do is not give you 400 things, is to kind of step you through what this might look like in things that you can do today, things that you can do over the next few weeks and things that you can do over the next few months. So things that you can literally do today. So as soon as this is over or, you know, I'll, I'll give you till tomorrow if you need, but go home and watch Amy Edmondson's 2014 TED Talk and reflect on ideas that you might want to lean into. It's it's not that long, but it is packed with really juicy information. Now share what you've learnt with three colleagues external to your team. Set yourself a reading list around psychological safety, and I can start that for you, but there's a lot more that I haven't put in this presentation. And be honest with yourself about practices you do that might lower the psychological safety in your team. And if you're really game, and if you're happy to be vulnerable, and you're not sure, you could ask your team members. Now, in the next couple of weeks, I want you to start actively listening and observing to learn what makes each team member unique and feel valued. Now, I hope you do this already a bit, but being more conscious of it is something that you can probably try doing in the next two weeks. Help your team members to connect their contributions to the overall team goal. Be vulnerable, Remember, this starts with you, and share what you have unlearned, like perhaps in this conference, what have you unlearned or what are you struggling with? and be curious rather than judgmental about mistakes. What can we learn from the mistakes we've made? And finally, over the next few months, develop a shared and explicit language around psychological safety with your team. If you've reflected on this, I can imagine that you've, you've uh, thought about moments in previous teams on your current team where elements of psych safety was there, but it's really important to develop a very explicit language and talk about this with your team. One other thing that you can do, which is a bit of a fun thing to do in design, is assign dissent to team members on a project and recognise them for it. So, hey, to these two members, I want you to tell me why this won't work. Schedule one-on-one time with team members to ask about needs and challenges. Support team members on stretch assignments. So, this very much links with pretty much everyone we've heard from today, but particularly mags. What is it that they need to grow and then support them to take the risks to learn from that? And then honestly assess your own responses to a culture of challenge, risk taking, and autonomy, because that's not easy. So you might wanna do that by yourself, but then see how you can do that as a group and lead with vulnerability. Now, I've got no idea how long this has taken, but I am at the end. So some final comments from me. Create high psychological safety, or creating it rather, is an opportunity. And I hope that from this presentation, you've seen it as a hugely exciting opportunity and that you take the time to chat to read more um, and practice some of the things that we've spoken about. Role modeling is key. I think in my original draft, I kind of just had final comments, and it was like role modeling, role modeling, role modeling. It's really important, and you may, you know, struggle from here um, from time to time, but show your team that it can't be done. Be reflective and ask others for feedback and help. And finally, and this is a big one, be genuine about all of the above. Your team will know if you're reading from a playbook or if you really believe it. As I mentioned earlier, psychological safety is about acknowledging that we are human. Yes, this means that we make mistakes. We might need to lean on others and we might need to be reminded of how we're making a difference from time to time. But being human is also about seeing the amazing creativity we can come up with if we're given the right environment. Okay. And thank you, everyone. That's it. There's a bit of a reading list, but um, I'll leave it there for now and the reading list will go around. Thanks, Leander. One of the questions that you actually received was um, if you could uh, share the name of a particular book that you mentioned, but if you could share the reading list um, that made up that, that would be lovely. Thank you very much for that. That was excellent.